Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Health Care on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the doctorscore.com, doctor rating, patient satisfaction survey website. In today's program, we're going to be talking about privacy issues. The improvements in our healthcare system are hopefully going to come in part from growing use of electronic health records. That puts a lot of information into the digital world where it could be easily used, manipulated, maybe even spread to people who we wouldn't want to have see it. How are we going to be protected from this? Well, there are protections in the system uh, now, both for electronic and non-electronic health records. One of the key provisions, that, that key laws uh, that protects our privacy, the privacy of our health records, is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. We're going to be talking about those provisions today with Tricia Torrey. She's every patient's advocate on about.com. She has a patient empowerment guide there. She's the author of the book, You Bet Your Life, The Ten Mistakes Every Patient Makes. Trisha, thank you so much for being on the show. Could you start by telling our listeners what HIPAA is? HIPAA is uh, it's kind of a blessing and a curse as far as patients are concerned, Steve. It's called, the, it's called HIPAA. It stands for Health Information Portability Accountability Act. Everybody thinks it's H-I-P-P-A, and that's not true. It's H-I-P-A-A, so pronounced HIPAA. Um, it was actually first passed by Congress in 1996, and it was supposed to protect our access to insurance information. So, for instance, if um, I lost my job and I needed to go back and get my insurance information from when I had my job and my employer was helping me pay for my insurance, it was supposed to guarantee me access to that but eventually it sort of evolved into something that had as much to do with the electronic transmission of um, information. And now it seems to be one of those things that when it's good, it's very, very good, and when it's bad, it's really difficult to get around. So there are a number of things that we know and we can guarantee and, and count on as far as HIPAA is concerned for helping us patients. And then there are a number of things that we just don't know, and, uh, and by not knowing, it actually gets us into trouble sometimes. All right. Well, let's start off maybe by talking about some of the the key things that this rule does, and then maybe after that we can get into some of the things that it it doesn't do or some of the myths that you describe about it. Okay. Well, one of the things it does is it protects our information from people, presumably people we don't want to have our information. And so I, I give the example of um, not every patient who is an employee wants their employer to know what their physical or mental problems are that are covered by their health insurance. 
And so to the extent it protects us from having that information fall into the wrong hands, quote-unquote, it does that. However, the laws are so complex and so complicated for everybody, not just for patients, but for the providers who are called covered entities, even for insurers, um, many of the people that um, want to get a hold of the information can figure out a way to do that, and then many of the people that we want to have the information can't get a hold of it. One of the reasons for that, so, so for instance, um, I'm married, and my husband should be able to get a hold of my health information. And if I am having a problem, presumably he can do that. But my daughter might run into problems because she might go to my doctor and say, hey, I'm trying to help my mom. I would like copies of her records. And the doctor would say, you know what, I'm afraid I'll get in trouble. If I get in trouble, I could lose my license to practice medicine. I'm not going to give you this information because HIPAA says I shouldn't. Even though that's not true, doctors will protect themselves. They'll overprotect themselves from giving the people we want to have our information the information we want them to have. So, so you're saying it's not true that doctors can, uh, can't give the daughter the information? Well, it's not that they can't give it to them. It's that what they should be doing is requesting a signature on a document, on a HIPAA privacy document that would say uh, that my signature would be on, and I would say I'm granting my daughter permission to get a hold of my records. Excellent. I presume that it would apply to your husband, too. Well, and, and he should, although spouses, I think, are supposed to get a hold of that information. The thing is, there's some really good information online through the Department of Health and Human Services that we patients can download. And quite often when I hear from patients who are having problems getting a hold of the records or getting them for somebody they are caring for, or having somebody who cares for them get a hold of them, I just say to them, here, download, go to this link and download this information and take it to the doctor, and they will help you make sure that you get the information you need. Unfortunately, um, so many doctors are in small private practices, they can't afford to have an attorney on staff full-time. They can't even afford to access that attorney any more than they absolutely have to. So sometimes they just say no because they know at least they're protected if they don't give the information away, and they're afraid of what will happen if they do, whether it's right or wrong. Well, that covers family pretty well. Um, what about non-healthcare workers or other – well, let's start with other healthcare workers. If, um, if you come to see me, presumably I'm not the only doctor you see, can I um, freely send your records to other physicians? Um, you, I believe, have to have a signature from me in order to do that. And you would, when I come through the door, say to me, here, I need you to fill out all of these forms, and you would need a signature from me saying that you could access and also that you could share that information with some of those folks that we patients don't realize you're going to share it with, even though you're doing it legally and you're doing it because you have to. Who, some, who might be some of those other folks we'd share information with? Well, for instance, our insurance companies. So the insurer, the, the, the law reads that it's anyone who will be charged with caring for us and anyone who will be um, part of the payment system for paying for that care, and that would include our insurers. In some cases, I know that um, it has been tested, and I don't know what the outcomes are, so I can't speak to those, I'm afraid. But in some cases, employers have gone to um, providers and said, hey, I'm partially paying for this service. I want to get part of those records. But I don't believe that's happened yet. Oh, that was my next question because ultimately employers are paying for our health care. Do they get to have open access to our health care records? No, not so far. Not so far as I know. And, you know, I say that, but 
I can say that to you today, and everything might change tomorrow, or it might have changed yesterday, and we just don't know it yet. This kind of thing is evolving, and especially with healthcare reform, we don't know exactly what the impact is going to be. One of the big changes that I see in healthcare and in every other aspect of our lives is the extent to which we're moving to digital communication. Mm-hmm. So um, I think um, I like encouraging my patients to send me email messages so that I, they can ask me their questions. I can respond to them, find resources on the Internet to help educate them better. On the other hand, um, does does these HIPAA rules, these HIPAA privacy rules, affect whether I'm allowed to do that or not? Affect whether or not you're allowed to send email? Yes, to to correspond digitally with patients. Well, you know, again, that's one of those things that really hasn't been tested. I understand from most of the um, professionals I've spoken to, and, and you might be able to tell me the same or different, what I understand from most of them is that they don't get engaged in email, not because they're so concerned about HIPAA, although there are privacy concerns, of course, but more because there's not reimbursement for it. And they could be spending hours and hours every day just time trying to respond to emails that might come in from their patients. And with no reimbursement, it's hardly fair to ask you to spend hours and hours responding to me when you don't have any way of being reimbursed for it or paid for it. Yeah, I, I guess I'm more of a Marcus Welby type. And yeah. if patients <laughs> want to email me or call me, you know, I... They have my cell phone number, at least many of them do, and uh, I've just been totally um, impressed that patients try not to abuse the privilege. And so if they're having a problem, it's it's great to get a call. It's even better to get an email, and uh, then there's a a record of the call automatically there digitally. um, But I guess there are issues regarding the security of email and whether a patient you know, I, I suspect that it, that privacy issues in some way are blown up, but maybe somebody, you know, truly is worried that somebody else, some third party is going to be scanning the email and somehow find some really juicy bit of healthcare information. Although I imagine most, certainly in my correspondence with my gerontologist, if, if somebody found out my cholesterol was high, I, I, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Well, and, you know, that's possibly true, but I would like to put some of the responsibility on patients for all of this, too. Um, What I hear from you is a very sincere, um, this is a form of communication, and the patient and I can take care of the business we need to take care of. And I appreciate that. But I would say if a patient's truly concerned about that privacy, they have no business using email to begin with. They can make that appointment, they can get into that office, and they can have that conversation, and then they know it is private. Yeah, you're truly of the Marcus Welby patient era. There you go. I, you know, I'd like to think that um, I, I do know that many patients, I don't want to say all certainly, I won't even say most, many patients don't understand that their responsibility for getting the health care they need and deserve is as much on their shoulders as on anybody else's and probably even more so. And for so long we've defaulted to our Marcus Welby's and, um, you know, Marcus Welby just doesn't exist anymore except maybe in you, Steve, but, but the point is, if we don't take that responsibility, nobody else is going to take it. Most providers are not in situations where they can be that um, end-all and be-all of information. It, information flies at everybody too fast. So to the extent that patients need to take that responsibility, they need to take it in every aspect of their care, not just um, 
seeing their doctor and, and working with their doctor as partners and deciding on treatment options and then adhering to those treatment options. But also when it comes to electronic records, when it comes to payment of their bills and keeping up their insurance, it's our responsibility to do that for ourselves. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. We're talking to every patient's advocate, Trisha Torrey. Our focus today is on the health insurance uh, portability. Oh, my goodness. Let's see if I get all this right. Can you get it all? Yeah, health insurance portability uh, and accountability act. Thank you. It's health information. I'm pretty sure it's health insurance, but I'll, I'll check before I... Before I, before I um, finalize things for the listeners, and I'll get them the, the website contact information for the uh, Department of Youth, uh, Health and Human Services. Um, well, you know, you're, you're spouting the same kinds of things I think most people who've been guests on our show talk about with respect to how critically important it is for patients to take some personal responsibility. And with... Um, People see multiple specialists for different problems. These specialists may have different record systems. They may be paper. They may be electronic. Not uh, No one doctor may have access to all the records. I think you make really um, good suggestions that patients have access to all their records, have all their records themselves so that they could share with all their doctors. Does HIPAA address... Um, whether or not patients can get their records from their doctor? You know, patients can get their records from their doctors. Whether or not that's a part of HIPAA, I can't, I can't speak to that. I don't know that for sure. But just as a general rule, patients have access um, by law because those records are their records about their health. Now, there are all kinds of um, rules put on that. I don't want to say constraints because it's not so much constraints. It's just that Sometimes to get those records, you have to follow the rules. And for many years, I don't think most doctors realized that, yes, in fact, by law, they needed to provide those records to their patients. But those, some of those rules come in, for instance, um, in, in some cases, depending on the state you live in, um, doctors only need to hold on to records for a certain amount of time. So if it's about a child, they need to hold on to those records until the child turns 18. If it's about an ongoing problem, say a diabetes patient who's had diabetes for 12 or 15 years, well, they have to, they have to keep those records for that period of time. But if it's something that I had a problem with 12 years ago, I have not had a problem in the intervening 12 years, but now I want to go get those records, doctors are not required to keep records for that long a period of time. Um, there are other rules that have to do with how much I have to pay per page if they are printed pages of information. So depending on the state I live in, I might have to pay 50 cents a page. I might have to pay $1.50 a page. Each state kind of sets their own amount. So there are some constraints, and there are also ways that doctors expect you to ask for those mm-hmm. records, but you do have access to them, yes. Yes, I, as I understand it, patients' medical records are their records, so they get to have copies. But are they entitled to everything? Well, you know, again, that's one of those things that's not tested, and I actually believe that it changes from state to state. Um, There have been questions about the doctor's personal notes about that patient versus the actual medical record itself. The rulings I've heard are that patients are entitled to everything that's recorded about them. And where that first came into play and became problematic was where doctors were making notes about patients that they didn't want patients to read. 
And, you know, we hear, we hear all the worst cases, of course. We don't hear the best ones. We always hear the worst ones. But, oh, that's you know, so true. Yes, yes. So, you know, we'd hear about the snide little comments written in, um, in the, uh, you know, next to whatever the medical report was or whatever it would be. Not so much anymore. I think it's been a number of years since that's really been a problem. I think for the most part, I mean, you can speak to this, Steve, that, that doctors are really pretty careful about what they put in the record because they know patients might get a hold of a copy of it. So, um, but yes, patients are entitled to whatever the doctor is keeping on them, and they should ask for it as well. Yeah, I think that's so true. Um, for all records, people will say, well, particularly for lab tests, to make sure that no lab tests are missed, but certainly for all records. Now, if someone did get their records, as we hope they would, and looked them over and saw something that was either in error or incomplete, what should they do? They should correct them, and they have a right to correct them. Um, it, sometimes it's something simple. You know, for instance, I find out that my middle initial is incorrect or something like that. In that case, you want to go in and, and you want to make sure that it gets changed. Just talk to the doctor's office. They might ask you to fill out a form. Um, if there's something in the medical record that you think is wrong medically, then there's a little bit, um, not a little bit, there's a much bigger process that needs to be followed. Um, and it can be disputed. I mean, I, as a patient, can dispute what the doctors put in my record, but the doctor can also dispute what I'm saying is true and isn't true. And um, if you need to, you can put what they call an amendment in your record. And they will attach that amendment, but they don't necessarily have to change the medical record to begin with. Excellent. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. We're talking to Tricia Torrey. She's the patient empowerment guide on about.com. Tricia, you had on about.com 10 myths about HIPAA, and um, one of these was related to credit scores. Now, since HIPAA keeps a patient's records private, does that mean that medical information and billing that the doctor has won't affect people's credit scores? Oh, no, absolutely. Your your medical records can affect your credit scores. There's a system, and, and uh even you may not be familiar with this, Steve. I know that many providers I've talked to don't even know this system exists. It's called the Medical Information Bureau. And it's just like one of the credit bureaus. You know, we've got what Equifax and TransUnion, mm-hmm. those different bureaus where um, people that we get credit, you know, our, our mortgage company and our credit card companies and whomever else, has the car loan, whatever we have credit from, they all report to these bureaus and they say, Okay, you know, she's been pretty good about paying all these. She pays them on time. This is her balance. And at any given time, you and I can contact any of those credit unions or credit score, I'm sorry, credit score companies and, um, and get copies of our credit records, even find out what our, was it FICO score? Is that what they call it? Find out what your credit score is. Well, there's a similar system, not exactly the same, but it's for medical information. And it is a system that's set up actually by insurers. Anyone having to do with health, so it could be just health insurance, but it could also be disability or life insurance, any of those kinds of insurance that are based on somebody's health. And if you or I uh, apply for health insurance or disability insurance or life insurance, um, then the company we're applying to will go to the Medical Information Bureau and say, hey, I need information on Steve Feldman or I need information on Trisha Torrey. And the Medical Information Bureau will go out to any company that's ever insured us for health-related reasons and bring up whatever information they can bring up and then feed it back to the company we've applied to. 
so that that company can decide whether or not they want to give us insurance. Now, it can be affected by the credit score because if you've not paid your bills to another insurance company or you've not kept up with your co-pays, that will be reflected in your Medical Information Bureau record, and that can get back to the insurance company. So definitely, whether or not I can get insurance and how all of that will be kept can be affected by how well I pay my bills. We'll have to see what effect new health care legislation has on this if it guarantees people the right to be insured. But I'm sure that's a topic for another show. Well, you know, actually it's not so, it's not so difficult. It's a pretty easy answer. It doesn't matter if you have a pre-existing condition. Now insurance companies have been told you can't turn down somebody with a pre-existing condition. But nobody's told that insurance company that you can li- they can limit how much they will charge someone for that insurance. So they'll pull up the information. They're going to find out that someone has heart disease or that someone has diabetes, something chronic, and they'll come back and say, okay, yep, you know, by law we have to insure you. That'll be $5,000 a month. I'm going to have to go back and look at that issue because, as I understood it, the whole point of having an individual mandate in the new plan was that it would prevent insurers from and from having to need to charge some people a whole lot more than another. I understood that because um, there would be an individual mandate, the insurers would also be required to, to keep the um, variation in what they charged people for insurance um, to, a, to some sort of reasonable range. One of the last issues I wanted to touch on was how people's private information might end up being used for marketing. There's a lot of people out there can't stand the phone calls at dinner time and and being targeted for marketing, HIPAA is going to protect them from their information being used uh, for such marketing, or, or maybe not? No. HIPAA does not protect anybody from information being used for marketing, although it does protect us from being targeted as an individual with a specific problem. So, for example, um, you, have, uh, you, you go to your local hospital for knee replacement surgery, and you're admitted to the local hospital, and you have your knee replacement, and, um, and things, you know, they go okay, but in your records it also says that you have arthritis of this or, you know, you still have a problem with your hip, whatever it might be. Well, that information gets what they call aggregated with everybody else who's shown up in that hospital in a period of time needing either the same kind of a surgery or a similar kind of a test, whatever it might be. Then that hospital can actually sell those records. Now, they can't sell the record and say, Trisha Torrey had a knee replacement. What they can do is say, here's a list of 500 people, and they all had knee replacement surgery. And um, they can sell that information for mailing lists. So you don't know for sure what dates I had it or exactly how the surgery went or who my doctor was or probably even who my insurer was. You can't really tie my medical record to my knee surgery or to this marketing list. But they can sell the list, and I'm going to start getting mailings that talk to me about, um, oh, any number of things that might have to do with arthritis or medications for arthritis or whatever else might also align itself with somebody who needed knee surgery. Well, you're saying that they could go so far as to share medical information about you? No, that not, you had not a so procedure done? No, I wouldn't say that they're, they're not selling or sharing medical information about me as much as putting me on a list of people who needed certain kinds of services. Hmm. So it's not my medical record, but it might, be, um, it might be a medical record along with 499 other people who had a similar problem. 
I would, uh, well, as, as somebody who provides care, I might feel like I could, boy, I don't even feel like I could even tell somebody they were a patient of mine that that would have been protected information, much less tell somebody else, give people a list of people who had particular procedures in my office. I would have thought yeah. that, that goes I, beyond the, the rules. And you know what? I don't think you could, Steve. We're talking about larger entities. We're talking about hospitals, larger facilities, health systems. We're not talking about individual providers who are, are selling that information. But it becomes a revenue stream. Sure. And I guess one must be mindful of what one signs when one enters the doctor or doctor's office or hospital because if the if one did give authorization, even if it's in some fine print somewhere, then the HIPAA protections for privacy would be lost. Yes. I would think that that would be true. But I also think that um, most providers, and you would be included in this, so you can tell me how you feel about it, I think that the penalties for you violating anything having to do with HIPAA are so strong and so vast that you are probably overly careful about doing anything that might get in the way of that. I think that is well put. Yeah, <laughs> yes, very go. much so. Well, Tricia, um, I, that, that's what I wanted to cover about HIPAA today. While I have you on the line, and just as in closing, uh, any key points you want to share from your book, You Bet Your Life, The Ten Mistakes Every Patient Makes, or any other critical suggestions you have for our listeners? Well, I would say my book is all about um, the assumptions that we make as patients and and for most of us, I would say, who are older than mid to late 40s and older, who were raised in, as you so well put it, the Marcus Welby generation, um, we have assumptions about our health care and how we approach our health care that aren't true in this day and age. And so I would say that the, the number one point in the book is these are the things that you need to know have changed or aren't the way you think they are. And if you're aware of them, then you know how to work around them to get the care you really deserve because... The truth is we do have the potential for excellent care in the United States of America. There is no question about it. It's just that most of us aren't getting that care because we don't know how to get ourselves through the system well. And if you have a better sense of how to do that, or even if you find someone else to help you, an advocate or a loved one maybe with some kind of medical background, you're going to do a whole lot better than if you just kind of stand on your own and make your way through. You won't necessarily get the care you need to get. Tricia, thank you so much for being on the program today. My pleasure, Steve. I've enjoyed it. Tricia Torrey is the Patient Empowerment Guide on About.com. She's Every Patient's Advocate. Her website is everypatientsadvocate.com. And you might want to consider her book, You Bet Your Life, The Ten Mistakes Every Patient Makes. In the coming weeks, we'll get another perspective on patient privacy issues. I think this is critically important now as we move towards electronic health records. We'll be speaking with a, an attorney who specializes in privacy issues, medical privacy issues. That's our show for today. I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you'll join us again next time. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, I wish you the very best of health. 
Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.